you want to turn to Isaiah 9, that's where we're going to be this morning. Isaiah 9, 6 says this. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As we continue towards Christmas, we're just a couple weeks away here, uh, we continue to focus in on this theme of uh, the identity of the Messiah. He is known to us as the Prince of Peace, and Christmas Eve services will be focused in on that aspect of his identity. Leading up to it, we've been looking at this famous messianic prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9 that contains within it four different names or identities or core components of the Messiah. Last week we looked at that he is our wonderful counselor and we we discovered that wonderful has this idea of otherworldly, mind-boggling, never before seen counsel or wisdom. And so we we looked at that and, and acknowledged that we need more than ever that counsel. This week, we continue with the second core component of the identity of the Messiah, and that is mighty God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for today. Thank you for your call to us to follow you. Thank you for the the answer that you've provided. The Messiah to come and dwell with us, to be among us, to be our savior and our king. I pray that you'd speak to us, remind us once again to listen for your voice and to follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Isaiah, the the prophet, was alive and active in his ministry in the 700s BC, 722, uh, kind of right in the middle of his tenure, the Assyrian army came to power, attacked, invaded Israel and took those some uh, conquered the northern kingdom and took captive many of the young men and leaders from that kingdom and in, and used them and utilized them inside of their uh, empire. And so Isaiah speaks to the nation of Israel before this occurred, while it's happening and after. And he has an interesting message. The prophet says to them a time of judgment is coming. So he has a message of Uh, of um, concern, of judgment. There's a time coming because of what you've done, the way you've lived. God's gonna put you under judgment. But he also gets to give a message of hope of a future time when God would provide an answer and when a leader would rise up, a king, a ruler, who would restore the nation of Israel. And so it's an interesting identity and message that the prophet Isaiah has. He brings all of this with a great concern for the people of God. His name means Lord saves or the Lord saves. And so literally a message of salvation, even though there was a message of judgment and of struggle. During Isaiah's tenure, these things were happening. The nation of Israel all of a sudden is under uh, persecution. And as I said, their focus naturally moves to the problem swirling in the world around them. The Assyrians taking them captive, the the displacement of their people, and the pressure that they're under, the oppression. And so this naturally becomes the focus. And a message of hope and a Messiah in the future was not something very easy for them to hone in on in their personal lives and minds. Isaiah prophesies 
of the Messiah's coming. Of course, we know now the fulfillment of that was in Jesus um, when he arrived on the earth. And if you think about it, the time Jesus came was very similar for the world, but certainly for the nation of Israel, for God's people, because they were once again under Roman rule. They were not able to live independent as the people of God, um, as they knew they were supposed to live. And so they're under Roman rule. They're under persecution. Once again, the dispersia of the nation of Israel had people living all over the known world. And, and the pressures, both politically and personally to them, could occupy their thoughts and minds, the troubles of their day. All of these things take the focus off of the work of God. And where are we at today in 2020, living in, a, in an era of death and sickness it's hard to not focus on that and think about it almost constantly. A political climate, which could be, probably will be more threatening to people of faith like us who believe in Jesus. How about the economic uncertainty of the times we live in? What will happen? We've lived through a tremendously difficult time that has shaken us as a country. What about the intensity mounting over foreign interests and their involvement in our government and interest in it? There's a lot going on. It could pull our attention to our troubles, to our struggles, to these difficulties. And I don't know about you, but I've certainly thought during this year, man, uh, could we just get a day, maybe a moment with a little peace in it? Just a little bit of peace. It just seems like things happen one after the other and they're all difficult. They're all stressful and they're all hard. And in some ways it seems like it just builds instead of leveling out. And yet peace is this difficult thing. We want it, we think we uh, desire it, but man, it's hard to find. In fact, in the history of the world, peace is very fleeting and hasn't been experienced much. The Personal Journal uh, did, a, did a study on peace in the world and they studied from the beginning of recorded history the, and they, they discovered this, the entire world since that time has been at peace less than 8% of the time. In this study, the periodical discovered that of the 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 saw peace. Moreover, in excess of 8,000 peace treaties were made and broken during this time. Matthew Henry said, peace is such a precious jewel that I would give anything for it but truth. We want peace we're after peace, and yet the truth is, oftentimes it's elusive to us because we're not really clear as to where to find it or even how to achieve it, what it even looks like. We would all identify that we want a peaceful time, we want peace for our families and for our homes, and that we want peace internally, and yet, boy, it's hard to really figure out what that means and to identify how to actually, um, how to actually receive it and get to it. I've been thinking during this season in this series of the interesting fact that the Messiah came, that Jesus came to earth, God's provision of a ruler, a savior, a king. God himself came to earth. The truth is that most, both then at the time he came and now, miss his arrival. They miss his identity, even identifying him as the true savior of the world, God overall. Even though finding God, discovering God, seeing who he is, is so important to most of us as human beings. And yet somehow, when God came, and when he comes, and when we can identify who he is, he's missed. Why is that? 
so frustrating, so, uh, so um, perplexing, because it is so important. And I've thought of a couple of things. You know, um, Jesus came as a child, and he came humbly, and he was missed by many for that reason. That isn't who uh, the ruler of the world would be. That's not how he would come. And so they missed him in part because of the nature of his character. He was missed because of his humility. The truth is that Jesus came and as he walked the earth, as he did ministry, claimed to be the Messiah. He said, I am the one who came from the Father, right? I am the one that you should look to. And the truth is, if we were to see him and, and see those claims, if he weren't really the Messiah, if he weren't really God, then that fact would be discovered. As human beings, we can pretty quickly identify if somebody is who they claim to be. Now, people can fool you. We can all be fooled for a season, but it doesn't last forever. Identity does matter. Are you really who you claim to be? And Jesus coming in the form of a servant, though that fooled some, it, it, it caused some to miss him, even others were drawn in because of that to realize that he really did have the character and the nature that matched up with who he said he was. Mistaken identity or proving that you are who you say you are can be tough. And certainly many people throughout history have been mistaken or misjudged. There's a guy, a famous violinist out of Germany. He was an American, but originated from Germany named Fritz Kreisler. And he was on a trip, he was headed on a trip to London one time to perform, had about an hour before his ship sailed uh, or took off. And so he went into a music store and when he was in the music shop, he had his violin with him and the proprietor of the shop asked him if he could see the violin. And so he showed it to him, Fritz did, and the the man uh, took the violin, looked at it, disappeared into the back, came back with a couple police officers. One of them said, "Uh, Mr., uh, you're under arrest. And uh, Fritz said, what's the problem? What am I arrested for? And he said, well, because you have Fritz Kreisler's violin. He said, well, I, I am Fritz Kreisler. And the guys said, uh, not so fast, man. You're not going to pull one over on us. Um, that's impossible. Very unlikely. And so Fritz having just, uh, you know, his ship was going to sail soon. He just had a minute. So he said, can I have the violin? Took the violin, played a song that he had written. Uh, that would have been uh, known to him. And finally, these guys were convinced that he was who he said he was. Question for you today, could you recognize God if you saw him? So often, the God that we think we need, who we want God to be, is not in fact who he is at all. Another problem that we have as human beings is when it comes to this area, we think we know what we need best better than anyone else. And so we create expectations of what God would look like, who he would be, and how he would interact with us, the kinds of things he would do for us. And that those expectations create serious problems for us when it comes to identifying God, seeing him, connecting to him, responding to him. I mean, how many people have you known? Maybe you're one of them. I've certainly been this person that kind of are on a perpetual mission in life to get whatever it is. This is what I need, the kind of uh, partner I need, the kind of job I need, whatever. This is what I need. And they know and they pursue it. And yet time and time again, uh, achieve that thing they think they need. It turns out not to be the thing they need. And so it doesn't work. Um, We can all get caught in this. 
certainly. We don't always know what's really best for us, though we firmly believe we know what is best for us. Um, I've been a dream chaser in my life when I was a young man, chased dreams and um, kind of motivated me. And uh, I was fortunate to be able to uh, pursue a lot of those kinds of things. As I look back on my life, I recognize that oftentimes that didn't actually result in me feeling fulfilled, <laughs> but unfulfilled, which is kind of an interesting thing. But, um, but dreams can be interesting in the pursuit of what we think we need. When I got to college as a young man, 18 years old, I had lived kind of in and out of walking with Jesus. I had made a decision to follow him as a young man and certainly uh, grew up knowing God and wanting to follow him, but a little bit um, uh, flaky on my commitment. And so I got to college. It was Bible college and I was called to make a decision and I stepped up to it and I said, 100%, I want to follow Jesus. This is how I want to live my life. And so I began to try to do that. And as a young man at school, I really wasn't focused on a long-term plan, what was my life going to head. I really was focused in on just growing as a follower of Jesus and cementing that faith and deepening it. But at this college, being a young 18-year-old, began to discover that there um, there were some girls there. And I started to notice them, and they started to notice me. And there was one young lady who was from Nebraska, a good Nebraska farm girl. And uh, we had some chemistry. And I mean, she was um, just very attractive and she was smart and confident. And uh, I was really drawn to her. And we had some great interactions. I thought, wow, um, this is great. You know, didn't come here for this, but wow, this could be awesome. And then I met another young lady from Montana and she was also attractive and we had some chemistry. And I, I kind of made a decision the first couple of weeks which direction I was gonna go uh, in this whole relationship thing. And I did it based on what I thought was best, what would be the best decision for me, the kind of person I need to be with. And so I chose the girl from Montana. And uh, my buddies gave me a hard time about it. You know, like, wrong decision, man. And I was like, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing here. I, I know what I need. And so I, I, I kept on with it like any guy will. And, and then uh, took a couple weeks. I started to notice some things were breaking down. This isn't really working. And well, that isn't really a connect. And so I'm a guy, we can be slow, but I mean, it took me about a month. I was like, I'm on the wrong, I'm, I'm going down the wrong tracks here. Like this is just wrong. And so I had to make a correction, which was hard on everybody. I mean, I had to break it off, you know, which is never fun. And then I had to think about what am I going to do? And I decided to go back to the girl from Nebraska and say, I think I made a mistake here. You know, would you give me another chance? And uh, somehow she did. And, you know, that's turned into a, a marriage and a family and, uh, and a very successful, um, wonderful life in many ways. And I'm just here to tell you that my point is that, that sometimes we think we know what we need, um, and most times we're better off if we let God direct that process, if we listen to what he has to say. When it comes to God and it comes to our expectations, so much of the time our desires get mixed in there. They come from blind hearts and wrong motives so often. But if we'll open ourselves up to God, his direction, his insight, the clarity that he brings, we can walk down a road and a path that leads to the realization of what we really do need. The reason that God himself and certainly the Messiah was missed by so many in my my estimation 
is in part because of wrong expectations of God. The wrong ideas of who God would be and what we need from him. Would you be open today to a different idea of the God that you need? I'm talking about the real God, not an idea of God, but the one true God who really did come to earth. At this time, we celebrate his arrival. He came to provide for us what we really need. Not always what we want, not always what we think we need, but what we really do need. And those needs that he wants to meet will result in a transformation in our lives. The fulfillment of everything we've been looking for. Sometimes, though, we've got to get out of our own way in order to realize that, in order to experience the work of God. Would you be open to the one true God who really came here for us, to walk with us, to bring us life? Isaiah 9, 6 tells us that the Messiah would come as a great ruler. He would come with the capacity and the resources to rule. The Bible says the Messiah will come in power. Isaiah 9, 6, this name for God, this core essence of his identity of the Messiah, excuse me, is mighty God. This word mighty that is listed here, it has obviously within it the idea of great power. The Messiah would come with the ability to do things, to move things, to advance a mission, to change things on the planet. He would bring great might to the world. He comes in power, and that power qualifies him and defines him as leader. But what is wrapped up in this word mighty? Mighty God. What, it, what, it, what is the concept? I, I can assure you it's pretty rich and thick and full. There's a lot that, that is wrapped up in this word. The first word that might qualify it a little bit is the word skill. That with this might coming in might, the Messiah would have skill that he would bring as a leader. Remember from Napoleon Dynamite, you got to have skills if you're going to get girls, right? Skills are what get you there. So we all know how important skills are as men, especially you got to have skills. And so, um, but, but the Messiah came seriously with skill, skill to lead. Skill to be the ruler of the world. It wasn't untrained, uh, inept, and unable to accomplish the mission. It came fully equipped to handle the calling. Think about the people that Jesus interacted with and the skill with which he handled himself. A group of, uh, of kind of roughneck, blue-collar fishermen were the, the majority of the time he spent with them. He was able to take them from a pretty rough spot as individuals and, and shape them and mold them and teach them to become leaders that could lead his movement. That's some skill. Look at how he interacted with uh, uh, different individuals that he encountered that had spiritual need. You know, we have the woman at the well. What a beautiful interaction Jesus had with her. Uh, most men could not have handled that interaction well. Jesus just so skillfully interacted with her so smoothly that it transformed her life. A woman caught in adultery, you know, a difficult situation, and yet Jesus skillfully handled that situation so as not to destroy, but to encourage and teach and even confront. It's remarkable how Jesus handled himself with people. And then at the end of his time, near his death, he ends up in front of one of the uh, the largest or most powerful leaders in Israel anyway, Pilate, a Roman ruler. And Jesus handled him with, uh, with ease and, and even challenged him and led him spiritually in that interaction. Jesus was often 
There was attempts to trap him, right, in, uh, in some uh, spot in between where he should be, <laughs> the way he was teaching, and the law, which the Pharisees were following and defending. And they tried to trip him up and get him to um, make a misstep, say something that wasn't true so they could discredit him. And yet Jesus skillfully handled each one of those encounters, flipped the script on them, and was able to further confirm that he was speaking the truth. The Messiah would come with skill. Secondly, wrapped up in this word or held within this concept of mighty is strength. Strength, the strength of his personality. You know, for a leader, strength is found in character and the ability to uh, stay the course, to do the right thing, even at personal cost and expense in service to those that you lead. That is the measure of strength so often for a leader. Here we have the king of the world. Jesus come to be the Messiah. What was his character? How did he handle the tests that were brought upon him? Well, we see before his ministry began, he was led to the wilderness and Satan himself tempted him. Man, you know, it's hard enough when we're tempted by our own sinful desires, as James says. The devil came after Jesus with everything he had. And he tested him. And Jesus handled it so well, with so much strength of character, that many theologians and people over the years have said, Jesus wasn't even really tempted there. Like, well, God can't be tempted. You know, say, no, he, he was tempted. <laughs> but he, his strength made it look as though it wasn't even a legitimate temptation. Satan was no match for him in tempting him. There was no real draw towards the things that he was trying to pull him towards. Did he have strength? Well, he navigated the crucifixion, the passion, with strength of character. Miss maligned, judged, falsely accused, um, mistreated, you know the story. He walked into that knowing it was God's will, having accepted God's plan for him. And his strength of character was so powerful that he walked through that test. He hung on the cross, enduring the physical pain and torment, which was the smallest portion of that test. He also um, had placed on him the sins of the entire human race so that he became sin for us. And then God turned his back on him and he walked through that test and he stood under it and accomplished the mission. Yes, the Messiah comes with strength. How about resources? Resources is another concept inside this word mighty, mighty God. Resource. Think about the resource that Jesus had. He, uh, he was out on the countryside teaching. Thousands of people gather around him, maybe 10,000 plus it's getting late in the day. They need some food. What are we going to do? Tells his disciples, man, where are we going to find food for these people? They come to him with a couple of fish, some loaves of bread. What does he do? He, he takes these, these few resources, small amount of resource, not enough to take care of the problem, and he multiplies it. He multiplies it. He makes it enough, more than enough. There's leftovers when he's done. This is the resource the Messiah has. He can engage and encounter anyone in their spiritual point of need, meet their need, speak to their heart, bring healing and restoration. He can forgive sins. That's the resource that he has. He has availability to all that exists when it comes to meeting the needs of the people that he came to serve. And he does it with 
power and strength. He does it with um, accuracy. He does it with skill. Does he have the resource to lead? Does he have the resource to, um, to be the king of the world? Yes, he does. Is everything available? Last word or idea or concept that defines this word mighty is authorization. Authorization. You've got to have the authority to do the job you're called to do. And Jesus came to earth and went through his preparation period, grew up as a young man, learned the, the word of God, right? Connected to the Father, was filled with the Spirit, and he goes through his testing. He's baptized by John the Baptist. And in that baptism moment, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and the Father speaks words of affirmation and authorization. The Father says, this is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus has the backing and authority of Almighty God to do the mission of God and the work of God. And so he sets out after this mission to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The truth is, folks, there is no more might than Jesus possesses. The power that the Messiah possesses is above all. We use a word in theological terms for God, and that is he is omnipotent, right? Omnipotent means all-powerful. The Messiah has this power. He has all power, all might, above all. There's a story of this type of power in the Old Testament and how it interacts with human beings. In the book of Daniel, Daniel was also another prophet, and he worked under Nebuchadnezzar in the uh, Babylonian Empire. The Assyrians came to power. Then the Babylonians uh, conquered the Assyrians and took over and ruled the world. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the world. He ruled over all. He conquered the southern kingdom. He took some young men captive. Daniel was one of them. So Daniel's working for Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar begins to have dreams. And Daniel can interpret dreams. Nebuchadnezzar has a particular troubling dream. And uh, he asked Daniel, what does this dream mean? And Daniel's scared to tell him. This isn't a good dream, Nebuchadnezzar. This isn't a good one. But he relents and he tells him that if he doesn't change his ways, if he doesn't humble himself and come under God, that he's going to be humbled. And God's going to bend him and break him. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't really take it seriously, doesn't really listen. And so in a short period of time, God does to Nebuchadnezzar what he said he would do. And Nebuchadnezzar is banished from his kingdom. He loses his mind and he lives like a wild animal. Seven years, probably, he lived this way. At the end of it, God actually restored him and he writes some words in Daniel chapter four. This is what he says about his encounter with a powerful God. After this time had passed, in other words, his time out in the wilderness with his mind gone. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to the heaven. My, san my sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My, ad, my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored 
as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Get this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All of his acts are just and true. He is able to humble the proud. He had an encounter with God, a very powerful man over all the earth. And his response in the end is, he's more powerful than me. I, I don't even have the ability to stand in his presence and say anything. This is the might that the Messiah comes with. It's otherworldly. You've never heard or seen any power like it. You cannot really interact with it. Um, you don't know what to do with it. None of us do as human beings. It's beyond us. And so the truth is that we have access to it in our lives. The Messiah came to lead the world, but Jesus, you know, wants to be your savior. He promises to enter your life and to exist and live and dwell within you to bring this might to bear inside of your world, inside of your existence. And so my question for myself and for us in light of this, that the Messiah, almighty God, right? Mighty God has all this power and he wants to bring it into our lives. Then why is it that so often we think that our troubles are powerful? Why do we think that our pain is powerful? Why do we think that the harm done to us by others is powerful? Why do we think that financial pressure is powerful? Why do we think that threats on our freedom are powerful? Why do we think that a virus is powerful? Why do we consider our health issues and struggles as being powerful? Why is relational conflict powerful? I just got to ask these questions because I do it too. I start to think that other things are powerful. And pretty soon as I focus on them, they become more powerful than the almighty God who lives in me and who has equipped me and who wants to give me that power and strength. And I think the answer is because I, and maybe you at times, do not live out of the connection we have with that God. His offer to us is to be Messiah and to rule and reign in our lives. And yet we have an opportunity to either invite him in at that level and connect with him at that level of power, or we can hold him at a level that we can manage and that we're comfortable with and that we're okay with and that feels good to us. Just a little bit of his power. Okay, Jesus, give me a little bit. Like when I run into trouble, give me a little bit. I just need some now. Like could you infuse some power right now so I could get through this problem, right? So I'm not afraid, so I don't have anxiety or what? Like that, that's kind of how we use God at times, the Messiah, and yet he's the ruler of the world. And he's earned the right to rule in our lives. The power he has at times, I just, I struggle to kind of describe what it looks like to live in such a way that I'm really leaning into his power. I'm really relying on it on a daily basis. I found an example in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, a friend, another pastor in town posted this a couple weeks ago. It's been rolling around in my mind. And I thought, man, this might fit here. Uh, the Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey, has some buddies with him, and they're trying to advance the gospel. They run into some trouble. And this is how he describes this reliance on the power of God and this dynamic of how to live in it. He says, we ran into some trouble in the province of Asia. We were crashed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through the situation. We, never, we thought we'd never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. 
But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. It's a transition here in his mind, in his heart, and how he interacted with the Messiah. Like he was serving Jesus. He was following him. He was out there on mission. He gets in a situation. His life is threatened, scared to death, thinks he's going to die. Him and his group, we're not going to make it. And they made a shift in how they thought about God and how they interacted with the Messiah. And instead of being fearful, right, and just focused on that trouble, he goes, we started to, instead of relying on ourselves, can I figure this out? How do I get out of it? What do I do here? What's the right answer? He goes, we stopped. And we started relying on and listening to and talking to the Messiah, the King, and, and the one who, yes, has the power to raise the dead. So if we're gonna die, we're in a situation where we're gonna die, who do we need? We need the one who has the power to resurrect. Even if we do die, he can bring about the power outcome Right? So we, we rely on him, and that's what they did. And this is what we're called to do as people. The core identity that Jesus has is mighty God. Not just mighty, not just powerful, but God. He is divine. The Bible tells us that he would come as God. He possesses all the attributes of God. He's eternal his existence is from everlasting to everlasting and his kingdom will be without end. There's a transition in the name that is used for God in the Old Testament. The Messiah will be more than a man, Isaiah tells us. Um, Isaiah 7 there's a word used for God that isn't found anywhere prior to this. And I believe it's found just two times in the Old Testament. And it's a change in the perspective on God and who he is and, and how we relate to him. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, in the beginnings, uh, in, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, on through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through Moses and, and the people of Israel leaving Israel and the pillar of, uh, of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, which was God's presence... All of those things are talked about from this angle. God says to the people, I am with you, okay? I am with you. So it's God's voice, I'm with you, you're my people. In Isaiah 7, he says this, uh, Isaiah does by way of a prophecy once again. The virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So Emmanuel is the new name that's used for the Messiah. And it's not from God's voice, it's from our voice as human beings. It's human beings say, saying God is with us. It's an interesting change because the Messiah would come as one of us to dwell among us. And instead of God being outside of our existence, right, uh, someone difficult to relate to. We don't really understand. Uh, it's unclear as to who he really is. Jesus comes, Emmanuel, and now we say as a human race, God's with us. <laughs> he's, he's, he's among us. And that relationship dynamic changes. And this leads to Jesus ultimately inviting his disciples in on the inner workings of the kingdom of God and saying, you can partner with me in what I'm doing. 
Matthew 1 confirms this prophecy as, again, being about Jesus when it quotes the same passage. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. And yet the Messiah was a stumbling block for so many. Paul tells us in Romans that the stumbling block, the rock, the cornerstone, in fact, is Jesus. But many would fall over him and trip over him. Messiah is mighty God. He reigns in power and might. He comes to bring that power to rule in our lives. Can I tell you that God wants to reign in your life? You need him to reign in your life. Are you open to him reigning in your life? Are you open to the God who really is coming to dwell inside of you? I can promise you a couple of things. He's going to disrupt things. It's going to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to look at some things differently and change some stuff. I just want to encourage you that we're in a season in the history of our world that's very, very important. It might be perhaps one of the most important seasons you could live in. I don't know. I'm just looking at it and I'm, I wonder about uh, what is happening on the earth. Clearly, things are being shaken up. Clearly, uh, there's uh, shifting in order and structure and what's going to be done and how it's going to be handled. What I recognize is that virtually everyone is impacted by this in some way right now. There are conversations happening at a spiritual level all over the place in places they would have not happened before, haven't happened before. All of a sudden they are. And I know what the people of God are here to do on the earth (laughs) in every season, but especially in seasons where things are being shaken and where God is moving and there's an awareness and an interest and an openness. See, this is our moment to be awake and aware and focused and not distracted. And there's so much opportunity for distraction. And it's so real. And it grabs us. It grabs all of us. It grabs our hearts and our minds and emotions. And it's so easy to miss it. And so I just want to pull us back and just remind us that these are the moments that God's placed us here for to be aware and alert and on point. And if you've if, you, if it's a time for restructuring your life, it's a time to strip away some of the things that you've built up in your life that really just aren't, don't belong there. They don't reflect um, someone who's seriously, passionately following Jesus all in. Like we need to be all in now. We need to be on point and saying, listen, uh, I'm gonna get rid of the other stuff. Jesus, I'm gonna focus on you. I need you in my life. I need your wisdom and counsel alone. I need your power right, in presence. I don't want anything else. It's a time for that because the world needs a message of hope. People around you need to be pointed to Jesus right now. And we've got to be able and ready to do that. And we need the power of God alive within us. It's not easy. It's not a a simple thing but it's so important. And so um, on this day, I just want to call us to that, to say, um, I want to re-up, recommit, right? In this direction, this is an important time and I want to be here, I want to be ready. God, I want you to be able to use me. I don't want to be distracted and and off track and and my focus wrong. I I want to be on point with it and I want to see what you're doing, recognize it and be able to step into those moments and speak and encourage and live in such a way that others can see you. And, and that's the moment we're in. And so um, would you consider 
would you consider that kind of commitment, that kind of decision? To return to the wisdom and counsel of God alone. To return to his might and power above all else. And to actively work to press and push away the other distractions so that we can be focused on him, so that we can be the generous, life-giving people we need to be. You know, when things get tough and pressure hits, it's easy to rally the troops, circle the wagons, pull in, protect, uh, take care of myself, my family, and get kind of conservative. That's easy to do. It's a natural response. And yet, I just watch the church, the people of God, over the history of the world in moments of trial, in moments of stress, not to do that, but instead say, no, this is a time that we're gonna live out there. We're gonna be out there. We're not gonna pull in and be conservative, but we're gonna get more generous, more giving, and more willing to connect, and more willing to to give away what we have and who we are. Because our trust and our hope and our faith is in mighty God, the Messiah. It's not in things of this earth. And so, my prayer for us is that we would allow God to be the powerful one, the mighty one. Allow him to invade our lives and to live out of that, that relationship with him. God, thanks so much for your goodness to us, your desire to walk with us, your willingness to invade our lives, to be present with us, to be powerful with us, to give us everything that you have everything that you have, all the resources, all the knowledge, all the skill, all the wisdom, all the power to, to, excuse me, to accomplish your mission. And God, we know that we're here in this moment, in this season, and that you have work for us to do. You have a mission for us. Father, I just pray that you would keep our hearts and minds guarded against distractions to the things around us, to the, the issues swirling. But Father, help us to stay focused in on you, clear as to your guidance and presence in our lives. God, give us strength. May we, your people, rise up and be the answer that the world so desperately needs. I pray this in Jesus' name.